welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on October 23rd, Lord's Day Service. Second Timothy three, fourteen. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. And then 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that corrects, instructs, guides, and rebukes us. May we receive that word joyfully. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's an entire genre of literature and recently movies that depicts this unique world that's totally removed, totally different than the one we have now. One of the 19th century examples was by Jules Verne. It was called The Lost World. You probably recognize that. The name was taken later on by the, uh, one of the 15 Jurassic Park movies that's come out in recent times. But actually, Michael Crichton, the original author of Jurassic Park, was a fan of Jules Verne. But all of these depict in some way this unique island that has a different atmosphere There's totally different weather patterns, and it allows for things to grow that before, in other places, could not grow. When you think of this unique atmosphere, though, for us, we can actually put that in the place of Christians, because that unique atmosphere that produces something totally different than the rest of the world is called paideia. It is, as we've seen before, the the Greek word from Ephesians 6, verse 4, it is the act of enculturation, of bringing our children to see who they are in God's kingdom. It is an atmosphere. It's not just a set of rules or doctrines that we stuff inside them, hoping that when they're pressed that those things will just kind of pop out. 
No, there's a lot more to it. We've seen that a significant part of paideia is walking with our children, not just speaking to them, and we'll touch on this later today again. As parents, we are to both teach and demonstrate how to walk in the Lord's ways. We correct, guide, teach, encourage, and even confess our own sin. And this is not just the things that we say. It also has to do with the the symbols. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. The symbols, the rituals, and the activities that you have in your home. This morning, we come to another passage that uses the term paideia in 2 Timothy 3, 16. The term when he says, instruction in righteousness. That is the Greek word, paideia. At the beginning of our text, though, Paul reminds Timothy to continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of since childhood. Now, I will add, that word childhood, actually, you trace it back, it doesn't mean just a period after you hit five or six. That word childhood includes all the way back from infancy. It it can be translated, since you were a baby. This tells us something immediately about how faith is transferred. There is no age, parents, when your child cannot potentially exercise faith in some fashion. You say, whoa, how can you say that? Let me ask you this. When you had your baby, did, you, did that baby ever become quiet in your arms? If so, that baby was putting a degree of trust. There was rest in you. Every act of rest, of trust, is not just trust in you. It is rest in the one to whom you belong. Mature faith certainly includes assent to the truth. But faith does not begin with intellectual assent. It begins by trusting what you cannot understand. If intellectual understanding was required, most of us would never fly on a plane because we do not fully comprehend. Well, yes, we know that planes have flown people places before. But we don't know how it works, yet we rest in not only the plane, but ultimately, at least I can speak for myself, and the last time I got on a plane, I was trusting in the Lord to bring me where I needed to go and back. So Paul begins by reminding Timothy of that very essence, that he was handed this faith from a very early age. But as we we come to the crux of the message, the cornerstone of Paideia is Holy Scripture. The thing Paul says makes us wise unto salvation. In verse 16, we we read very common passage, especially in our evangelical circles. We see that Scripture 
is given by the inspiration, by the breath of God. Scripture itself, it doesn't just contain God's Word. Scripture is God's Word. All of Scripture is from God's Spirit. It is His breath to us. When your home is filled with God's Word, When submission to Scripture saturates your existence day in and day out, your home is filled with the Spirit. So do you want your home to be filled with the Spirit? It's not something that you have to just kind of wait and catch the mystical wave when everybody's in a good mood and everybody's feeling great and everybody's obeying and and, and you're, you know, you're you're just just dishing out all the food and everybody's rejoicing and, and, you know, and then the ice cream tastes extra good that night. That doesn't mean that you're in the Spirit. That's That's God's grace and we're thankful for it. But being in the Spirit is when you are walking according to God's Word. You're walking in submission to God's Word. And then at times when you sin, when somebody else sins and there's confession and repentance, you're still walking in the Spirit. So that's good news. You don't have to wait until the feeling comes. Because the feeling will come and it will go. Word of God doesn't change. So if you're walking in the Spirit, you're walking in submission to Holy Scripture. And it's not just that we read God's Word or we hear it, but the Scripture must be used. It must be applied. It must be taught. Paul tells us, the good, the good things that Scripture is useful, or for which Scripture is useful. Number one, he said it's useful for doctrine. That word doctrine just mean, it means teaching. So, Scripture helps us to know God. It teaches us about the one who made us. And not just about him like we would read in encyclopedia... If you wanted to know about God, there's books, there's theology books written by by mortal men, some better than others. But you don't draw close to the Father primarily through a text of theology. You draw close to Him through His breath, through receiving what He has said about Himself. So it begins, it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, but also he said it's profitable for reproof and for correction. Those things are are together. Both of them are for forming our behavior. They refer to to forming our, our actions. The reproof part is how we are formed inwardly through the conscience. Now, Now granted, when you're really young, Kids, sometimes, have you ever wondered what's right or wrong? Have you ever thought to yourself, hmm, I don't know what, I'm, what I should do because you're, you're not quite sure? Now, some, a lot of times we know what to do and we just don't want to do it. Okay, that's one thing. But I'm talking about sometimes you don't know what's right or what's wrong. Well, God has given you His Word, your parents, and your elders. Okay? So go first to your parents and you can talk to them about what's right or wrong in a situation. And then if you have further questions, have elders at church who love you and are glad to talk to you as well. 
We all need our conscience formed. Well, when we are taking in the Word, when we are reading the Word, it forms us inwardly. It, it helps us to, to learn and to know what is right and wrong because our, when we come into the world, our conscience is kind of off. Have you ever had a thermostat in your house that had gone bad? Especially in the summertime. You know, in the wintertime, it doesn't bother me when my thermostat's off a little bit. That's okay. In the summertime, it really bothers me. Because, you know, it may say, you, you may put it on 75, but then you actually go inside and you see it's, it's 81. You don't see it, you feel it first. Okay? That needs, to, that, that needs correction. Okay? Well, our conscience is like the thermostat, and God's Word forms our conscience so that we can know what is right and what's wrong, and we can make those choices. So it's good for reproof, but also God's Word is good for correction. This is the forming of our outward actions. You know, some things we have to learn by practice. Learn by doing. There's a lot of things like, uh, parents, have you ever corrected one of your kids and you felt this slight inclination to raise your voice beyond what was good and holy? Well, sometimes it takes work to not do that. Or maybe when, when, when you want to respond to your spouse in a particular way that's neither good or holy or edifying. And we can trace this down any number of paths. But sometimes we need actual correction. We need, when we do something, we need someone to say, that's wrong. And again, kids, this is part of what God has given you parents for. So that, you can, so that they can tell you when you're doing something, because there's all kinds of things that we just don't know are wrong. And then sometimes we know what's wrong and we do it anyway and then they can remind us with various measures that they have of reminding us. So we need this. We need our, our, to be formed, our behavior formed both inwardly in our conscience and also outwardly in, in the, the daily actions that we pursue. But also our souls need to be formed. And that's the instruction in righteousness. That's paideia. Now, of course, there's all kinds of books, other things that we take in that form us, but Scripture is the, the foundation of our formation. It is the thing that everything else good is built on. So what do we see then about paideia? From this passage, we see that both correction and formation begins with Scripture. What are the rules in your home like? Everything that you have, all the expectations that you have as far as rules go, and hopefully it's not like the, uh, I remember a far side comic years ago that has a teacher, if you ever went to public school, I hope most of you did not have this pleasure, but if you did, then there's a comic that had a teacher, and she's writing on a blackboard. She looks about 145 years old, and she's writing, and she has a whole blackboard full of rules. And it's, you see, they're rule number 
207, and she's listing what, you know, that, that other rule for her class, okay? Well, this is the way sometimes we function. We have a long list of rules. But can your kids keep up with a lot of rules? Probably not. And the rules that you have should be something you can directly deduce from Scripture. You want your children to know that you don't just make up arbitrary rules. How many of you ever remember growing up, and whether it was stated or not, maybe you knew that one of the rules was don't irritate parent, you know, parent A or parent B. Now, by the way, that's not a bad thing to follow, okay, kids? You know, it's good to show grace, kindness, deference, and honor towards your parents. But honor your parents is the right rule, not don't irritate them. And parents, if, if that's your rule, if it's just don't frustrate me, that's a pretty random thing. Because sometimes you may be in a great humor and you're willing to put up with all kinds of silliness and then other times, not so much. And it's, it's, it's fine if you, if, you, you know, if, if you warn people and say, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling well or something, that's understandable. But the rules that we have, the everyday in and out rules must be from God's Word. They should see, our kids should see that we are also under the authority of Almighty God. We don't rule this one little home. It's not our autonomous castle. We are under the authority of one greater. And also, paideia is not just something you have for your kids. I want to stress that. Because eventually your kids are going to grow up and, and they're going to move out. They're going to leave and cleave. That doesn't mean, oh, whew, now I'm finished with all this Christian formation stuff. No. Now you have greater opportunities to display Christian formation to more people than just your kids. Because you are in a lifelong formation process that will continue all the way until you die. So you are doing this not just for them, you're doing it for yourself and for your spouse. The atmosphere in your home should not drastically change. And when they see that you are conforming your standards to God's Word, they will understand that that's not just you, that that's what God says, and therefore they must hold to that standard as well. When they see you confessing your sin, when they see you correct, correcting your behavior in submission to Scripture, they too are being formed. We want to think that it's just when we're doing everything right that formation's happening. No, it's, it's also when, every, when, when you're doing things wrong. When you're going down the wrong path and you confess and correct, or you repent, that is noticed. 
When you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, there is very little that's more powerful to your kids than that example. And all this is moving towards a goal. Paul does not end by saying correction, instruction, training in righteousness, period. No, it's all of that that the man of God may be complete, may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for all good works. That, that word complete, it means mature. So our desire should be to prepare our children and, and to be prepared ourselves for the work God has in store. And that work is ongoing. It will not stop. Just no matter what your age is, whether you're 8 or 88, if you are alive, God has work for you. And it will change. Because different things about you will change. But you still have a task. God is not finished with you. And so, so this is good news also, not only for parents, but also for grandparents. And by the way, all of you parents in here, hopefully one day you will be grandparents. Because you're, you're training now for what you will be then. And this is part of the good news that Paul gives at the very beginning of this book in 2 Timothy. He talks about this work that was done in Timothy by both his mother but also his grandmother. First Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy 1 verse 5. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So you take that with what he said in Second Timothy 3, you get a very clear idea that Timothy was formed by his mother and grandmother. His father didn't seem to have very much help. He did not give much help in this manner. So grandparents, your job, even though you are not directly responsible for raising your grandchildren, at least hopefully not, maybe you are, but your job is to help your kids love God's Word. You help them love God's Word. You point them to the goodness, to the joy, to the delight of God's Word. You never know how much of an impact you make on your grandkids. And the same goes if, you are a, if you're married here today and your spouse is not pulling in the same direction, you can say, well, I'm just being neutralized everywhere, so there's no point. Oh, yes, there's a point. Timothy was formed through the work of his mother and grandmother. This doesn't mean that you are to undercut or belittle your spouse. You don't help the spiritual maturation of your children by criticizing your husband or wife to your kids. Even if we do it in a pious sound or in a godly sounding way, now I said, don't, you need to not be a jerk like your 
mother or like your father is, okay? That's not help. That's not raising in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have you ever been tempted to do anything like that? No hands, please. No, apply Scripture to your kids. Point them to God's Word. So correction and formation begins with Scripture. But we can think of, at this point, okay, so I just have to just only read God's Word and, and, and I have to do it all the time. So make sure we have morning devotion is 35 minutes and then noontime devotion, you know, just keep that to about 25 minutes. But then after supper devotion is going to be about 45 minutes because the pastor said I got to give him the Word. Now, now let's go back to 1 Timothy. Now here Paul is speaking directly to Timothy as a pastor, but the language does fit with what we have already seen about instruction, about training in the faith. As Scripture is taught and the foundation is poured, what then? Well, as he says in 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, he says, if you instruct, he's telling Timothy, if, if you instruct the brethren, the, the, men of the men and women of the church in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine. This is a matter of reminding them. We are called to, as, as Timothy was told to remind the people, and Paul was himself reminding Timothy of what he'd been taught, Our job is to recall our children to what God has said. But we nourish them in this. That, that word nourish in Greek doesn't just mean we, we, we give it to them and they take it in. It's a combination of both. We, we, we provide them with spiritual sustenance, but also it's training as well. It's feeding and it's training. It's the entire program together. But the source of that nourishment is what I want to point out. He, he says that they are nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine. Now, now why did he say good doctrine? If the word is translated good, but I also like that word good can be translated beautiful. And that's helpful when we're thinking about how we present Scripture. Is the faith you feed your children beautiful? Are they drawn to it? It's kind of like preparing food. Oatmeal is nourishing. All right? Oatmeal is nourishing. But if everything that you make looks and tastes like oatmeal, there's a problem. And eventually, if you had oatmeal, now think about this. If you had oatmeal morning, noon, and at night, every day, at what point would you lose your appetite, or at what point would your children lose their appetite for oatmeal? Probably after the second meal. 
So how do we make faith beautiful? Well, thankfully, you don't have to do a lot to, you don't have to make the faith beautiful because the faith itself is beautiful. The, the, the teaching of God's Word is a beautiful thing. It is wild. It is astounding. It is transforming. Our job is not to put a cap on it, to not try to sand down the rough edges and, and, and make it cute and sweet like a, you know, a visible precious, a movable precious moments doll. Have you ever thought about the story of Ehud and Eglon, and how would that fit into Precious Moments? Have you ever seen a Precious Moments picture of Ehud and Eglon from Judges 2? How awesome would that be? Or Noah and the ark. When, when, when the ark is up there, and then all the animals and, 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 and the pagans are drowning and screaming, you know, how, how would that go as you know, in, in, in cute little picture book form. No, the faith is beautiful. Our job is to not protect it. We don't have to add extra things to it. We don't have to water it down so that it will go. No, this is not something where we have to protect our kids from God's Word. We want God's Word to go in raw and unvarnished and turn them into raw and unvarnished, God-glorifying saints. And if you give them the Word unshackled, you will have the equivalent and you will be a part of restoring a lost world. But we, what we have to be careful of here is not, is to not take what is good and also we don't shove it at them. We're not like cannon packers. Have you ever seen, you know, on, on old movies or, or you read books about how they would pack a cannon, they would have to, you know, put in the gunpowder and then they would have to just jam it in there. Then they'd take, put the cannonball in. And I've never fired a cannon. I'm just taking what I've read, okay? So just, you know, if you know better how to do this, tell me afterwards. But that's not what we want to do with our children. This is not mechanics. This is the Word of God. Make this nourishing. Don't give this to them in, to, to such a degree that, that they can't handle it anymore. Y your family worship should be a delightful time, not where everyone has to keep from rolling their eyes. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that every time you're going to have, you know, a charismatic moment in your family worship, okay? I don't mean that. Because most of the time, it's going to be pretty normal. But don't make it unpleasant. But then Paul also says, in addition to the fact that we're called to, to, to form them towards the beautiful, we're told to focus on the eternal. Focus on the eternal. Paul goes on to warn Timothy to refuse stories that make their way around. Now, it's translated old wives' fables. 
There's much that gets us worked up today. How many things do you read, do you come across that get you fired up and, and, and make you want to go and, and speak the truth? As one of my former students say, told the class in a moment of agitation, you all make me want to throw truth bombs at every one of you. Well, what is it that, that you read that you come across that makes you just want to start lighting the torch and just throwing the truth bombs at everybody? What do you do with the time? What with your leisure time? How do you spend it? What, do you, what stories, what, what, what truth, or what do you take in? What crusades are going on that you attend to? Because the way you spend your time and the things on which the, the things to which you give yourself will be the same types of things, not the exact same things, but the same types of things that your kids will give themselves to. When you look around the world right now, there's a lot of things that we wish were not happening. There are things that we say, I wish I could change this and that and this other thing. But if we spend our time primarily on present concerns, whatever is the popular gossipy thing going on right now, and look, gossipy things aren't just, did you see what so-and-so was wearing on Sunday? It's, did you see what fake news Twitter was spreading the other day? I can't believe that this was on my timeline. And so on and so forth. If we spend our time primarily on present concerns, we will miss the most important long-term things. So Paul presents a contrast between spending time on the myths of the day, that's a literal translation of old wives' fables, the myths of the day versus eternal things. And the eternal things there is a, that word godliness is also translated piety. We think of piety, in church especially, we think of just doing Scripture stuff. But there's a lot more to being pious. To be pious in ancient times meant to fulfill your debts towards those who have come before you. Your ancestors have handed down to you a lot of good things. What are you doing with what they've given it also, piety means fulfilling your obligations towards those for whom you bear responsibility. That means you have pressure from behind you and pressure in front of you. Practicing piety rem means remembering your tradition. It means remembering those who have gone before. It means giving yourself to the things that will last, not just the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. It begins, of course, as with everything else, with Scripture. But it doesn't end there. And this is part of even why some of our brothers have rejected the idea of paideia as being something that has much relevance to us because they say ancient paideia included teaching what was handed down to you culturally. And we think, well, anything that was handed down to you culturally, is you should just leave that off because after all, it doesn't matter if it's 
anything about your history. You know, your history's, forget it. No, it does. And that's why our Reformed Fathers in the Westminster Confession, excuse me, in the Westminster Larger Catechism, refer to the Fifth Commandment as one where we are called to honor our authorities, including those who have passed tradition, who have handed things down to us from the past. There is a war going on for our attention and our habits. We are drawn to the immediate, to the things that call out the loudest. It is a discipline to limit those things and to pursue timeless things. This type of training is the essence of paideia. And it is for the entire household, for father, mother, children, and anyone else in the house. Pursue the word of God and all things. And again, he says, he uses the word exercise yourself towards piety, towards godliness. It's hard. It's something you have to train to do. You have to actively say no to this thing that's just burning for your attention. Because you do know that unless you give at least $100 towards X political cause right now, after this next election, the whole world's going to be lost. Because I read a report, and I'll give you that report for that $100. We hear well, that's pressing all the time, and it doesn't let up. So we have to exercise ourselves towards what is eternal. When we pass then these eternal things on to our children, they will be better prepared to deal with the temporary issues that arise since they have a longer view of what God is doing and what he has done. So Paul ends with this saying, bodily exercise profits little. There are many people who like to stop there and claim that as their life verse. That's not his point. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness or piety profits unto all things, both in this life and the next. So should you train your body? Should you exercise? Absolutely. Paul's point is not either yes or no. It's give yourself to that, but there are greater and more important things. If your physical exercise takes priority over training in godliness, that's a problem. If you've never missed a day in the gym, but you've missed multiple days in reading anything about Scripture, that's a problem. Training is good. Discipline is good. It's a gift, and we should pursue it. But the most important thing in which we train ourselves and our families is in the eternal things, which is why he says... Godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. Nourish yourself and your family in the best things, in the beautiful things. Because we're not training just for this life, but for eternity. Padea begins now and will continue for the rest of your life. So give yourself to the training that lasts forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would use it 
to form us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.